Good evening, folks. How are you? I know there's a bunch of people left over in the uh, living room, but uh, we're going to start. I'll uh, just let you know that um, mostly, except for finishing up Philippians next week, most of the rest of the summer is going to be spent in a series I'm going to call, for lack of a better term at the moment, Staff Rants. And um, so I've invited folks from the staff to come up and share the things they're passionate about. And um, I'm starting off. And, and I think I may be ranting on the same topic for a few weeks in a row, just so you know. And this is kind of a prequel to my rant on young marriage. So if you've been around SCUM for the last uh, year or so, then you know uh, that um, we as a church body aren't really good at young marriages. We're great at falling in love. We're great at getting engaged. We're great at putting on wonderful, wonderful marriage ceremonies. And we're probably great at saying all the right words uh, in premarital counseling. But when it comes down to the first year of marriage, um, a lot of us suck me included, I probably had the best rap going about men's roles and women's roles and God as part of the relationship and mutual submission and, you know, all that kind of stuff before we got married. And I, uh, I'm surprised that uh, Mary and I made it that first year. Glad we made it that first year. Both she and I will say that we give all the credit to the Lord for the fact that we've been married for 34 plus years now, but it was very, very difficult. So I resonate with the difficulties that young adults are having at SCUM when it comes to being married early on. And so in this prequel to my marriage rant, I'm going to be talking about something that I think is critical, doesn't matter if you're married or if you're single, it's critical that you tell the truth, that you don't lie, that you walk in the light as he is in the light. Because if you walk in the light as he is in the light, then you have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, First John tells us. In other words, if you're not walking in the light, you don't have fellowship with one another, and if you're not confessing your sins basically to one another, then they largely can go unforgiven outside of the blood of Jesus in terms of their effectiveness in your relationship. I'm not talking, you know, in terms of your eternal soul or salvation. But I'm saying in terms of their everyday effect on your life, you must tell the truth. You must walk in the light. Now, lying has been around for a long, long time, unless uh, you're in the world of Ricky Gervais and the, uh, the Liar movie, which was absolutely hilarious, the invention of lying. You remember the Liar Liar movie with Jim Carrey, right? 
That was amazing as well. One of the best movies I've ever seen. I mean, we like to laugh about, about lying because I think we all do it. Um, there was a, uh, about eight taverns in a college town that ran an ad in the local paper, the student paper actually, and they said this in their ad. Bring your parents for lunch during parents' weekend on Saturday. We'll pretend that we don't know you. Which, you know, works for the young freshman college student. So the chaplain of the university saw this ad and decided to have his own little white lie. He put up on the bulletin board in the student union, bring your parents to chapel on Sunday, we'll pretend we know you. <laughs> And that's funny, right? I mean, sometimes, no harm, no foul. However, we never stop there. In uh, the decade of the 90s, the New York Port Authority ran an ad in uh, New Jersey, a help-wanted ad for electricians who were proficient in the use and uh, the assembling of Sontag connectors. Sontag connectors. They got 170 responses to their help wanted ad for electricians proficient with Sontag connectors, even though there is no such thing as a Sontag connector. The Port Authority ran the ad to find out how many applicants had actually falsified their resumes. So you're going, is that okay for the Port Authority to lie? Isn't that entrapment? Don't we have court cases about that? Like, see, it becomes a little more confusing then, you know, because if you're an electrician, you can say, but I thought I knew what a Sontag connector was, and, you know, I'm sorry, I was mistaken. Or you could say, like, you know what, I was pretty sure that, it, that, that, that if you showed me a Sontag connector, I could have figured it out. And see, at that point, like, it's like, no, no, it's getting a little more complicated, right? But um, there was a newsletter called The Sweet Soul Cafe, and they came up with the top ten liars' lies, and I thought I'd share them with you. The top ten liars' lies. Number ten of the top ten liars' lies will only stay five minutes. How many people are guilty of that one? Number nine, this will be a short meeting. <laughs> Guilty, that's charged. Number eight, I'll respect you in the morning. Now, <clears throat> I'm surprised it's number eight. What is coming up? Number seven, the check is in the mail. Number six, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help you. <laughs> Number five, young parents, listen closely. This hurts me more than it hurts you. I mean, there have been times, extremely rare times in the raising of my children where I've said that and, and actually meant it. But most of the time, I was ticked off. And it wasn't going to hurt me near as much as it's going to hurt them, which is wrong. Not the way to raise your children. We say that right off. Uh, this is totally for free. This is, you know, 
right there. Just be careful. Number four, your money will be cheerfully refunded. It might be refunded, but I doubt if it would be refunded cheerfully. I mean, if you've been in how many people here have worked retail? Raise your hand, seriously, worked retail. Okay, tell me, did, did you ever cheerfully refund someone's money? Okay. Number three, we service what we sell. Number two of the top ten liars lies. Your table will be ready in just a minute. Those minutes are the longest minutes in the history of the world. And the number one top ten lie, I'll start exercising tomorrow. Okay, so. Lying is a big deal. And it's a big deal for singles. It's a big deal for marrieds. And I want to start with what do you do when people are lying about you? Now, I have unfortunately, you know, been pastor to the disintegration of several young marriages now over the course of the last 12 years. It's painful. I don't like it. And, you know, there's only so long you can play with people to kind of hold it together. Just be separated. Don't go for the divorce. Um, let's go to counseling. Let's work this thing out. Because at some point, and we'll talk about this later on in the summer, their hearts are set on divorce. And at that point, even though they know how you feel, you have to try to make the best of a bad situation. Either that or you don't love the person. You can shut them out. You can call them names. You know, you can do all sorts of what I would call unrighteous things, but at some point you have to sacrifice your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your feelings, and try and help them make this divorce as... I don't know what's the word, as least destructive as it possibly can be. Because, you know, there's divorces and then there's divorces. And one of the things that I feel like I'm called to do in those kind of situations is be a person who always brings either the husband or the young wife back to the truth. The truth. Because lies get told back and forth. And this is a habit that began when they were single. When someone didn't agree with him or agree with her, then that person became the object of wrath, and it became easy to either stretch the truth about that person or to tell outright lies about that person that sprang out of your hurt. Or it could be that... When you were single, you never took the time and the effort and the pain to try and see anything from another person's point of view. So if you can't do it when you're single and you're not emotionally as invested, how do you expect it to do it when you're married? You just can't. 
And so this bit about lying is extremely important. Now, I'm going to do uh, a transition here. I'm going to read a psalm of King David who is coming to the Lord because he is being unjustly lied about. And it hurts him. And so he takes his complaint before the Lord, which is the place you ought to take it first. We're going to read through that. And then I'm going to go back through it bit by bit. All right? Here we go. Psalm 5. For the director of music for pipes, a psalm of David. So this is a prayer that actually is put to music. And, and you guys have heard these things. Heaven Fest is going on this weekend, right? You probably, if you went there, heard songs that were actually prayers to God that were, you know, set to electric guitars and drums. Well, this particular psalm, according to the directions of King David, is for pipes, flutes, hollowed instruments is actually the Hebrew term. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and I wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouths can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. So we're talking about lies versus the truth today. And the first place I think that truth has got to come out is in your prayers. Don't you think? There's this uh, interesting little diagram. I actually first saw it in uh, Dr. Blomberg's class in seminary. It's called the Johari Window. And I think we've got that up there. It's called the Johari Window because two guys named Joe and Harry actually invented this. But it's four quadrants in a box, and it kind of talks about all the ways you can perceive and be perceived when it comes to the truth. So the first box is the open box. It's, it's, it's what is known about you by yourself and by others. It's like this is what everybody, like everybody knows that Mike Sears is a uh, big, tall guy of Greek descent, right? Everybody knows that. I know that. 
Most people know that I am not the most organized guy in the world, and, and I know that, okay? So, so that's box number one. Box number two on the right is um, what is known by others that is not known by you. What is known by others that is not known by you. What's the title of that box right there? I can't understand what you're saying, sir. Blind, that's it, yes. Okay, I knew it at one point. I should have it in front of me, but I don't. Blind, and I cannot see. So, we'll let the irony just simmer. Sorry. No, it's not some. I wish it was intentional, but it's not. <laughs> what others can see about you, but you can't see about you. All right? This is where, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, this is where friends are people who stab you in the front and don't stab you in the back. This is where it's really good to have people around who will tell you what's honestly going on with you, even if you can't see it. I remember um, being in the preaching team with uh, three other pastors, and um, I uh, was coming up with a sermon it, it, it was a passage, and, and it was all about judgment, how God was going to judge the righteous and the unrighteous, and, you know, separate the sheep from the goats, and blah, 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 and, you know, and I'm going, I don't, you know. And, and, so, and so they go, Mike, well, how are you going to talk about this? And I said, well, I think I'm going to talk about grace. And they're going, what? I go, I want to talk about grace, about the grace of God. It's what saves us from judgment. They're going, okay, Mike, why don't you want to tackle the subject of judgment? Does your congregation not need to hear the full counsel of the Bible? Or are you just blind to the fact that this is a passage about judgment and you're going to be under it if you don't preach it the right way? You see, I did not want it. I could not see it. I, I, I so major in grace and mercy when it comes to my reading of the Bible and how to apply it to people that I don't want to think about judgment. I mean, there's a ton of churches out there that have forgotten that God is a God of judgment. Those are the, called the liberal churches. And the conservative churches are kind of the ones, you know, barking, saying, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Now, now turn that around. And you've got these conservative churches that aren't that concerned about the poor. And the liberal churches are usually going, look at the poor, look at the poor, look at the poor. You know, Matthew 25, hello. That's a chapter in the Bible, by the way, where Jesus talks about taking care of people. See, there's always a place where we're blind and other people see it. So, you know, here, think about this. So when you go to God in prayer and you're pissed off about your young spouse, 
the way he is not meeting your needs, the way she is not respecting you. Could there be things that you're blind to? If you want to pray to God in total truth and honesty, that box is something to consider. And then there's the uh, next box, the blue box, which is the hidden box. That's things that you know about yourself, but you're not telling anybody else, and they can't see it by looking at you. And they react to you, and they interact with you, and they pray for you, and they never know what's really going on. They never really know that you're struggling with, you know, thoughts of, of killing yourself because you haven't told anybody. They don't really know that you go go home at night and get in the internet for three hours looking at porn because you're so freaking lonely. Because you've hidden that. They don't know the secret sins that you're hiding. Like, do you ever wonder why people do things that just seem totally out of character? Well, sometimes it's because they never told you what was going on. They never told you that on the honeymoon they were wishing they had never gotten married. That their sex life was abysmal. They never told you that they were feeling talked down to like a child by an abusive parent that their spouse had ceased to be a loving husband and was now being some kind of harsh father figure in the marriage. Just too embarrassed to say that. You know, whatever the deal would be. They never tell you that They're wondering whether or not this whole Christian thing really is true. That would have an immense effect on a Christian marriage, wouldn't it? If one partner wasn't sure that Jesus was really the way, the truth, and the life, and the other partner is operating with that kind of vision of the world, And then the last box is the unknown box. And that is the part of us that is unknown not only to everybody else out there, but we don't even realize it about ourselves. And this is the scariest one. There's things about us that we don't know, that we deny up and to, I mean, being confronted with it. You've been flirting with that girl who's not your wife. You're, you, I mean, it's obvious, like, you've got a thing for her. No, I don't. It sure looks like you do. You're always talking to her. You talk to her at church more than you talk to your wife. No, I, no, we're just friends. It's fine. No clue. No clue. So in denial about his own darkness that he's not aware. And, he, you know... 
And then you're, you're going, okay, fine. Okay, I, I trust you. I believe you. And so it becomes unknown, right? Until it blows up down the road. Truth is essential in any relationship, married or single, or you don't really have a relationship. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. If we're not walking in the light, then we don't have fellowship, according to the Apostle John. So let's, uh, let's talk about prayer for a moment. Let's go back to Psalm 5, verse 1. King David says, listen to my words, Lord, consider my lament. Now, other translations translate the word lament as listen to my sighing, listen to my groaning, listen to my meditation, consider my meditation, consider my sighing, consider my groaning. In other words, King David is saying, look, Lord, I'm going to be talking to you right now. It's early in the morning. I'm getting up. I'm talking to you because I I woke up with something on my heart. And I want you to know about it. In fact, we get the impression that this is a conversation that's going to go on all day long. And, and, And King David, a man of God, as messed up as he was, just like me, just like you, says, I want you to pay attention to my words, but Lord... There's more going on than just my words. Listen to the laments of my heart. Listen to my sighing, my groaning, my, my thoughts. Consider those. It's like two lovers who know each other so well, and when she shifts in the seat just so, he knows, uh-oh, she's not fit one well. Something's wrong. Her back's hurting her again. Nobody else in the whole place knows what's going on, but he knows because he can tell from her body language what's really going on. The Lord is like that with us. He knows us that intimately, that well. Your sigh. My my grandmother used to sigh. Oh, my gosh. I'd be walking by. It'd be, you know. She's reading her Bible, and I'm going, oh, she's thinking about her daughter who died too young. She's thinking about her husband that died. She's thinking about her sister that died. She's thinking about the homeland she had to leave when she was 20 because they were so poor. She's thinking about how difficult her life has been. I, I don't know what she's thinking about, but this sigh, like I knew, spoke something about what was going on inside of her heart. And see, God can interpret that. So let's be aware that when we talk to God, that there are things that God knows about us that are hidden to us, that we're blind to, right? Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my cry for help. Hear my, hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. David knows where to come. My King and my God. I mean, there's something that, honestly, people with a king know that I think Americans don't know is that, you know, you don't have a vote. 
And when you go to the Lord, you go to the Lord because if he doesn't do it, it ain't going to happen. There's no legislature. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. This is a good verse. This is an ample reason to pray in the morning. Charles Spurgeon said that one hour of prayer in the morning is worth two hours of prayer at night. I don't know if I agree with him, but I can understand where he's coming from. I mean, in the morning, you kind of set your sights for the rest of the day on the Lord and say, I'm bringing this thing before you. And at least you know where you've gone already, and you can keep going back that well-worn path as your day progresses and maybe gets worse. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and I wait expectantly. I wait expectantly. Most of us don't do this. We don't wait expectantly. We just wait unexpectedly. It's like, there's no way. He's not going to answer my prayer. Uh, Yes. I mean, I just know he's not. I mean, so why? I'll just say this prayer, be my good little Christian devotion, quiet time, and then I'm going to just go about my day and forget it because God really doesn't care about me. Well, as you know, God has at least three answers to prayer. Yes, which is great. No, which is not so great. Wait, which is not so great. There might be more. But to stay in the tension of waiting expectantly, like, okay, how about now? How about now? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How about now? How about now? You know, that gets tiring. Little kids are amazingly resilient. Were that we like little kids when it came to prayer. Are we there yet, God? How about now? Are we there yet? How about now? How about now? Now? I mean, honestly, there's this hope that springs in little kids. And they, they trust their parents. They know they're going someplace. Something's good is coming. And, and they just kind of, they're, they're, they're expectantly waiting. Good parent knows how to divert the attention for a while. I'm sure the Lord does too. But I like the heart. And David's got that heart. Verse 4, we take a turn. All right? Verse 4, we take a turn. And this is what uh, David says. He says, For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. Do you ever have to remind yourself what God's like? Because you were forgetting? I think David's doing that here. I, I, I'm going to remind myself what God's like. Because my life kind of sucks right now. People are lying about me. I don't like it. It's making my life hell. And I'm just going to remind myself that God is a God who's not pleased with, with wickedness. He doesn't like lies. He hates lies. Jesus said the devil is the father of lies. There's no truth in some people. Jesus doesn't like lies. God doesn't like lies. Remember that sometimes when people are lying about you. If you have friends who are going through a difficult time in their young marriage and lies are being told about them by their spouse or by their spouse's friends, remind them, God doesn't 
count wise. They don't make any difference. You shouldn't take them into account either. He goes on. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. This is true. Outside of Jesus, this is true. This is called judgment. God doesn't like lies. God doesn't like liars. You know why? Because he doesn't like what lies do to people. He just doesn't like it. You don't either. I mean, as I'm watching these young marriages deconstruct, and I'm trying to make the best out of a bad situation, I wish it were just the young couple who were being affected. I wish. But it goes out in concentric circles, like somebody took a giant boulder and tossed it into a pond, and the shock waves are going throughout the church, throughout the neighborhood, throughout the family, throughout the community, and everybody's getting hurt. Lies are being told by both parties on both sides, and people are getting hurt. People are getting upset. People are getting angry. People are doing stupid things because of lies that are being said. It affects us all. It is important to tell the truth and not to lie, to receive the truth and not to receive lies. This is a prequel to my rant on marriage. God doesn't like what it does to us. I've had people who have lost hope in this church to have a wonderful marriage because of the number of young marriages they have seen fall apart. I, I know women who just, if they had trouble trusting men before, now there's no way it's going to happen. And I have young men who are scared to make a commitment to a girl or fear that what is either hidden about their fiancé or what their fiancé is blind to is going to pop up later on in the marriage and destroy it. They're afraid to pop the question because they think it's going to explode later on. You think I'm lying to you. I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. This is what people have told me, talked to me about. A serious problem. Then he comes back around. Verse 7, But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. It's not our goodness, but God's goodness. It's his mercy that allows us to be with him. This is what I love about David. But I, by your great love, it's not because I, by my great coolness, I, by my great spirituality, I, because of all the great things I have done for the poor and the downtrodden, I, because of my superb biblical knowledge, can come into your presence. None of that stuff. How tempted are we 
when people are saying bad things about us, to puff ourselves up with all the good things that we have done to try and make ourselves look better in our own eyes. And David's saying, no, it's because of God's great mercy, his love. That's the reason I can come into his presence, because I know what I'm like a bit, I think, is what King David is saying. In reverence, I bow down. In other words, he is prostrating himself before the Lord because he knows that God is greater and he is lesser. Toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. In other words, Lord, because I'm being beleaguered by lies on every side, people are saying terrible things about me at work, and they're saying terrible things about me at the palace, and they're saying terrible things about me out on the field, they're saying terrible things about me in the harem, they're saying terrible things about me on the playground. Lord, Make the way before me straight. Let me walk in it without stumbling or falling. Try to make it easy for me. Cut me some slack, Lord. Because I don't want to mess up. I know that I am just a human man. I am pulled by the dark side. Same as the people who are detracting me. Verse 9, this is the problem with liars. Not a word from their mouths can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they tell lies. This is how you can tell a liar. Your pain is his gain. Your pain is her gain. She has something or he has something valuable in his or her eyes coming that way by lying about you, by stretching the truth about you, by taking something about you from 10 years ago and extrapolating it to the present. I'll make it even worse. By, by taking something about you right now and saying, this is what you're going to be like in 10 years. Or 20 years, which is the reason I get for a lot of the pending divorces. Like, I can't do this 10 years from now. I can't live with that kind of character 10 years from now. I can't, I cannot keep putting up with these kind of shenanigans a decade from now. And you see, that is just total BS because nobody can tell the future. Except God. Nobody. And here's the weird thing. When a marriage starts falling apart, and finally people get a clue as to what's going on, they begin to change. I remember telling one person, I said, this is my fear. This is my great fear. If you go through with this divorce, you're going to be divorcing the spouse you always wished you would have. 
Because I don't know the future, but I see some things happening in your spouse right now, changes of character, the things that you've always wanted because things are so bad, and now you're going to go through the divorce because you're going, I'm not doing this in 10 years. I'm thinking, you may not have to do this next year. I don't know. I'm seeing things in the present that are looking pretty hopeful. I mean, if you want to predict the future, two can play that game. But at least I'm basing mine on some present reality, not on past. Verse 10, declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. They have rebelled against you. You ever think about that? That maybe... As much as, as you go through pains because people are lying about you, that God is going through greater pain because they're lying about you? His beloved child? I never got so angry as when certain teachers in certain grade schools would say things about my children that just weren't true. Like, what? Are you crazy? I'm going and talk to that teacher. I'm going to call a parent-teacher conference. Me! And if I get that way, and I only love my kids this much, how does God feel when he loves you this much? But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Verse 11. Let them ever sing for joy. Let them spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. And, and you know, this, this is a great prayer. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. You know, I have seen people, so many people, Go through the pain, the devastation, the personality devastation of a divorce. Who have run into the protective arms of God. And you know what? They come out of it okay. They come out of it okay. As a matter of fact, sometimes they come out of it better. Better character has been refining as if by fire. I like them better. Isn't this weird? That there are people who totally destroy their own lives. And because God is a God of refuge, and even as they're tearing their lives down themselves with their own hands, they can run to God and God can make something beautiful come out of it so that they can rejoice down the road. It's amazing to me. Humbles me. That's the great news. That's the great news.
It doesn't have to be in a marriage relationship. It can be with your parents. A lot of you have issues with your parents that have never been resolved. And lies have been told on either side. But if you run to God, if you in the morning let your requests be made known to the king, and you keep following that trail, you will find yourself a better self than you were beforehand. Because Jesus loves you that much to take the crap in your life and make diamonds out of it. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. So I want to take a moment right now and pray for protection from lies for us. And then I'm going to come back and finish up. Lord Jesus, I pray that you protect us, first of all, from the lies we tell to ourselves. Lord, you, you know us. You know the deepest part of us. You know why we lie to ourselves, why we have these false views of who we are. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would come in and you would take out the darkness and replace it with light that we could walk in the light with you so that we might have fellowship with you, that your blood may cover our sins. And Lord, I pray, Lord, for the lies that have been said about us by those entrusted places of authority, parents and siblings and, and, and teachers, Coaches, neighbors, uncles, aunts, friends, bosses. Lord, let these undeserved curses not come to rest. Protect us from lies, lies that have been said about us. Help us to come in to the truth, for the truth will surely set us free. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's make a decision, scum of the earth, please, to be a people who deal with the truth. That's not easy. That means being humble, especially when the truth is coming at you from somebody else. Let's make a promise that no matter how much it ticks us off what somebody might be saying, that if there is a grain of truth in a torrent of, of lies, that we would find it like, like a diamond in the middle of a sewer. We would claim it for ourselves. Let's look for truth that is said. Like, because sometimes the truth comes in negative forms, right? So let's take it before the Lord. 
But let's ask God, let me hear the truth. I don't want to deal with lies anymore. There are things that other people know about me that I am blind to myself. Lord, please help me to live in the truth about myself. And let us make a commitment to live in the truth about others. Because, you know, people are a mixed bag. And we can concentrate on the darkness or the evil in their lives, or we can, we can concentrate on the goodness in their lives. Let's make a decision to look for the truth in others. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Let us look for that image of Christ in our brother or our sister, even in our spouse. I'd like you to pray for me as um, we continue this summer, and I'm up from time to time as my chance to rant comes around. Because, uh, you know, these are difficult topics. We're a culture of immense romance concerning marriage. And I think that's wonderful to a degree. But I would like to bring some balance to it. And uh, I'm just asking you to pray for me. Because I, I, I want to do this well.